and thanks for coming back to Character Speaks, a podcast in partnership with ProSign Design to spotlight passionate character educators who are walking the talk. I'm your host, Barbara Gruner, and today we are visiting with my friend in Canada, Jody Carrington. She's a psychologist, an author, a speaker, a mom, and so much more. Welcome, Jody, to Character Speaks. Oh, Barbara, it is my absolute honor to be here. Thank you for having me. I am so excited about what you've got to share with the world, and I'm not even sure we can do it all in 30 minutes, but we're going to give it our best shot. Would you please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what brought you to today? Yes, girl, I'd love to. I um, We were just talking a little bit before we started taping here that I am not an educator, and so it, it is such a uh, honor to be in this world. And I'll tell you a little bit how I got here. I'm, I'm a psychologist and I've worked with kids my whole career. I don't really like kids, oh. uh, which is kind of <laughs> about why I ended up being a child psychologist. But I, I started out working. Um, it was actually a teacher who inspired me in grade 10. So I grew up in a rural community in Alberta, Canada, and um, in a K to 12 school. And so we had Oh my gosh, like maybe 24 people started kindergarten together and the same 22 of us graduated together. So we were, we, I, the community was largely white, very privileged, protected, straight. Uh, and we didn't experience a lot of adversity, adversity sort of as a, in general. I mean, many of us had our own stories for sure, but it was in grade 10 that the most popular kid in our class was killed. And uh, I remember the day so clearly. And it was a teacher who made me believe it was going to be okay. I I remember where Holly Nordstrom was standing when she told us about Neil. And I remember remember what she was wearing. I don't remember what she said. But I remember feeling that day that, like, that piece of connection in times of hard things was so profound. I didn't have words for it for a kid in grade 10. And so I told my dad, I remember telling my dad that night that I, I think I know what I want to do. I want to, I want to make people feel the way Mrs. Nordstrom made us feel today. And uh, so we started talking about, uh, you know, being a psychologist and the poor bugger didn't realize it would take me 12 years to get a PhD. So he, he was like, you know, I'll pay for it, honey. Like you go like whatever you need to do. And so he's still working at the SO in uh, Viking, Alberta, and uh, I got a PhD, so it's been all right. But the, the the deal is I really wanted to work with adults and trauma and police officers. I sort of fell in love with that in my undergrad and um, realizing we know very little about adults and trauma. And in our country, uh, we do, um, unfortunately, very little to support our first responders. And um, so that idea of trauma, I just learned a whole bunch about. And then when I did my residency on the East Coast of Canada, they said, you need to do a rotation with kids. And I said, I don't like kids. And, uh, and I said, like, stop trying to make me like kids. And they said, no, really, we think, you know, you need to do this. Um, and I fell in love with them. And I realized that we know even less about kids and trauma than we know about adults and trauma. And so it started this quest for me to kind of try to figure out what we're missing in the world of, you know, kids who really struggle in, in this world of relationship. And so my first ever job as a green psychologist was on a locked inpatient unit where we lock up kids. Uh, and it, it was at sort of one of the, the best hospitals that we have in Alberta. It's at the, the Alberta Children's Hospital in Calgary. And um, I was the psychologist on the locked inpatient patient unit. And there was two of us actually who started at the same time, really super green, young babies. Um, and we realized that the whole approach, you know, was, was based on how we were trained, which is from a behavioral model. So we were, even with these most traumatized sort of broken babies, uh, we were trying to sort of get them to, to make behavioral changes. And um, we were consequencing and rewarding them. 
to try to change the way that they were acting. And we really didn't pay any mind to the relationships that were influencing those things. And it occurred to us that that motto was based on what we learned from a rat. So in the 40s, the same questions came, right? How do you alter the behavior of children? And they learned that if you shock a rat, um, it'll do what you want it to do. And if you reward it, it'll do even more of those things. And so unfortunately, we haven't come very far since that time because our most of our educational practices and a lot of our sort of parenting programs are based in this idea that if you reward and consequence enough, you can alter behavior. And the problem is uh, kids are much more complex than that. So uh, I started this whole journey at the Children's Hospital learning about relationship and connection. And then uh, I started, I was late to the game finding a husband and uh, I scored one in Calgary and uh, I was pretty lucky. Uh, he said, we should have kids. And I said, I think you're right. And uh, so we got one and I realized that I'm so much better with other people's children. I don't know if you, if you know this, Barbara, is that, is that your experience in, in Texas? <laughs> you're better with other people's children. And uh, I, Aaron said to me, I think you better go back to work. Uh, and I, cause I, Asher, like, so our firstborn's name is Asher. And uh, I remember thinking like, my God, I can do this so much better on a locked in patient unit. And uh, so I went back to work quite quick. And then he said to me, uh, well, and then he put twins in my belly. So at 38, oh my goodness, I own three kids under two. Mm. And remember, I don't even really like them, you know? So I, <laughs> I'm coming around these days, but uh, so we, we moved to, to, he, he tried to fix the, the, the significant stress I was experiencing by suggesting that we should move closer to his mother. So that was awesome. And, uh, we moved to a small town in, in Alberta where we decided that's where we would raise our kids. And I opened a, a tiny private practice and started consulting to schools. And, um, my gosh, I was just, <sighs> spent a lot of time in classrooms realizing that there are teachers and EAs and bus drivers and secretaries who do holy work and um, that we still take a huge, hugely behavioral approach to kids and families. And so we started, it, it went so quickly, Barbara, I can't even tell you, over the last three years, um, I started uh, consulting with some of the most influential educators in our province, talking about like, how, do, how can we do better for kids, but how can we do better for teachers? And uh, fast forward three years later, uh, I've spoken in uh, many school divisions across this country talking just about that, this idea of reconnection and just how influential uh, we can be because you hold our babies every day for more hours a day than we do. And um, we're not doing a very good job of looking after you. So we developed a model and I kind of wrote a book about what I think about those things. And uh, gosh, it's almost out here we are january and um it's it's due out in february it's called kids these days and uh gosh i'm excited to tell you all about it well i'm gonna share with my listeners that i did get a sneak peek at that you did i did oh. at your treasure and wow i was brought to tears in the first chapter um i think just talking about how they're lucky too. Like I've always considered myself lucky to work with these superheroes and, and help them grow and watch them come to the rescue and, and be their sidekick. But, but you, you flipped it a little bit and talked about how lucky they are to have had us. What makes you think that? Oh my gosh. Like we're going to need more than 30 minutes. Okay. So <laughs> Because here's the thing for me. So I've often sat in the back of classrooms observing the bad, the bad kids. Okay, that was sort of my job as a psychologist sometimes. And uh, just to, you know, do an assessment on, on uh, various, various kids. And 
What I quickly understand is like, if, if you've been in this business as an educator for more than 30 seconds, um, you have lost sleep over somebody else's baby. You have spent your own time and money. You like you are familiar with Target and Walmart and Michaels because you're buying stuff for other people's children and you're worrying about other people's children, sometimes at the expense of your own babies. Right. If you've been doing this for more than 37 seconds, you have also considered adopting somebody else's child, like without a doubt, because you fall in love with these babies. And many times you've come home to your partners and they've been like, are you kidding me? No, we are not taking that one. And because because you are so phenomenal, you are showing up every day for our babies when like here's the thing, the most important thing that they need to learn is emotional regulation. This idea of how to stay calm in times of distress. That's how they answer this question. Do I matter? It's only in the, in the context of relationship, then and only then can kids learn. So if my children, I own three now, if my children spend more waking hours during the run of a school week with their teachers, their educators, than they do with my husband and I, or, you know, the primary caregivers, are we not looking at the right people? We, we need to look after you. You need to remember and be reminded every single moment how incredibly important you are. You change lives by simply by the trajectory, sorry, the, the, the profession which you've chose. Every single day you have the, the, the capacity to change the trajectory of a life. Very few people can do that in this world. And you can do that every single day, not by your pedagogy, right? Not by your literacy and numeracy skills but by your capacity to believe that by lighting up around my child, by looking them in the eyes and going like, Hey, Chase, I'm so glad you're here. You, you can change the trajectory of a life and you can only do that if you're okay. If you're not okay, those things become difficult for you to do. And that's all I need you to do every single day for our kids to be okay in North America. That's it. And end story, end of story. And so, uh, holy work my girl like there there is nothing that i can't think of anything more important okay so staying calm in times of stress modeling number one what comes after that how do we equip the teachers to do the holy work as you say right okay so from a psychologist's perspective, when we bring our babies home from the hospital their number one job is to let us know what they need and they only have one way to do that when they're babies they lose their minds they cry and we respond again and again and again by regulating them giving them teaching them modeling for them showing them how to regulate emotion you cannot tell a kid how to regulate emotion you got to show them and the biggest mistake we make in many of our approaches with kids is we tell them how to calm down we don't show them right Mm -hmm. and when in the history of telling somebody to calm down has calm down never worked right the last time your husband said to you calm down (laughs) Did you go like, oh, oh, babe, listen, like, do you want to make out, right? Like that, that is never our response. When people tell us to calm down, we're like, I'll show you calm. <laughs> you want to see calm, but, and the intention is to help the people we love to settle, to soothe, because we're most comfortable in this culture when people are regulated and calm, right? And so we get stressed sometimes when they're not. So we tell them how to do it. The deal is we got to show them. And the only way we can show them is when we're calm too. Huh? And we can give you all the strategies and skills to teach kids emotional regulation. 
but I got to look after you first. And when you are okay, they're okay. And so some of the things we talk about a little bit of the things that, you know, educators have taught me and I've learned from kids and families is that you being crazy about the kids that you're working with, the kids who need it the most are the hardest to give it to. Yeah. Yes. You you feel me? Amen. Um, (laughs) Those babies that are regulated that come in in the morning and be like, good morning, Mrs. G. Hi. You're like, oh, baby girl, come here. Look at you. You're amazing, right? They smell good. Your bow is Uh, in the right place. Bow is in the right place. (laughs) You know you have a dysregulated student because they're the one that's never sick. Oh, they're always there. Sammy? For sure. They even on a snow day, I don't know if you have snow days in Texas, but up in Canada, we have snow days. So on a snow day, it means like buses can't run. Cars are supposed to stay off the roads. These babies get to school somehow, even on a snow day. Like you you see them riding their bikes. Okay, so those are the ones that I'm talking about. These babies have had, for whatever reason, less people in their world able to say, "Okay, okay, okay, look at me. Right. Let's try it again. I got you. Come here. Right. They've had a lot of people saying, calm down. That's not a good choice. If you have to tell a kid that they're not making a good choice, they know that. Yeah. Right. And so the deal becomes, then how do we show those babies? How do I say, okay, okay. And so the tailors of the world, I usually call them Taylor because I don't know why, but in Canada, it seems like other well-regulated kids are named Taylor. Um, They're the ones who have had many people light up around them before they even get into your classroom right? They got a mom or they got a dad or they got a caregiver, a Nana who's popped over in the morning. Uh, uh, the secretary, the bus driver, everybody is excited to see Taylor because she's regulated and she's kind and she knows her manners. Oftentimes uh, it's the chases of the world or the Jacksons with an X um, who have difficulty staying regulated. So they enter your buildings or your buses like this, like, ah! right? And they open with like, I got a Pokemon instead of like, good morning, Miss G. Right. And so typically we respond to these babies like this. Oh, Calm down. Look at me. Are you making a good choice? And so these babies with the best of our intention, right, start to answer this question. Man, I messed up. I'm not making good choices. I'm not a good kid. What? Because that's how we respond to them with the best of intentions. So part of the deal is how do we assist these babies in learning regulation skills? That's the most important thing we got to teach them. Because listen, if they're dysregulated, they can't learn any pedagogy. No math, no English. Oh, no. You 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 can have stuff flying out of your whiteboards that are brilliant. And it's not gonna matter if this baby's dysregulated, right? Mm -hmm. So part of the deal is it's my relationship that matters. And when I can light up around this babe, gosh, she wants to learn from me. And sometimes we really got to fake it. So how do we do that? My gosh, that was such a good question uh, that you had there. It really is. These kids are not surprises. How how do you light up around them uh, in the meantime when they're not losing their mind? How do you get crazy about the things they love? Right. How do you learn about things like, I don't know, Fortnite's a big deal in your world right now, but yeah. mm-hmm. it's taken over the planet. And so we often we often don't want to encourage Uh, the use of things like that, like our devices and things, but it is what is on their mind. So when I say to these guys, teach me Fortnite, babe, 
What level are you on? How many kills did you get today? What level am I supposed to? When is the new transition start? Every six months or every three months? See, I don't even know. But they, they switch it over, right? Yeah. You get these babies to teach you first, and then you teach them. So you get crazy about the things they love. And and this takes time. This is the problem. See, like behavioral interventions work better because when I or, or work quicker. Sorry. So when I can take away things you don't like. Right. When I can consequence you, it works quick. I can get any kid to comply in the moment. That's not that's not the hard part. If I had a big enough motivator for you, Barbara, I could get you to comply. If I knew your babies mattered most to you and I said, you know what? You can't see Jacob until you get this math sheet done. Are you going to do the math sheet? Yes, and I don't even like math. (laughs) Right, and you do it. And the deal is, what does it leave us with? Because then the next day, as soon as you're done your math sheet, you would say, hey, where's Jacob? And I'd say, here he is. Good job, Barbara. You're amazing. And you'd be like, yeah, whatever. Get away from me, lady. And the next day, I'd say, hey, listen, Miss Barbara, can I get you to do this for me, love? Can you take this down to the office? You'd be like, you know what? What happens if I don't? Because what I'm teaching you is that it's predicated on what you stand to lose. Right? Yes. And it does not. So if I would have said to you first, like, you're like, I don't like math. I'm not doing math. I hate math. And I said, okay, I don't like math either. What is it that you love? I'm not telling you. Well, you know what I heard? I heard you love Fortnite. And can I tell you something? I love Fortnite too. I'm awful at it. I can't even get more than two kills. Did you know that? How many kills you got? And you might be like, well, listen, I can get 47,000. And and if I said to you at that point, hey, you're lying. We only tell the truth around you. <laughs> I'd lose you. And so I would say, 47, buddy, tell me more. Those three words would change your life. Tell me more. And when I can get your heart, that's when I start to teach. That's when I start to say, you know what, babe? Can we try that mash sheet together? I'm not very good either. Let's figure this out. And the next day, when you come into my classroom and I can say, oh, my God, did you play Fortnite last night? Yeah, I told Hey, Miss G, I did this and this. No way. Buddy, I'm proud of you. Hey, listen, now what I need from you is we need to get this mash sheet done. I know you and me both hate it, right? Let's see if we can do it, okay? I'm going to be more likely to get you to comply today. And I'm reinforcing what I believe to be true about you is that you have worth, that what you love and what you are excited about matters very, very much to me. And right now it's time to do school. Right now it's time to do math, right? So when I can get your heart, then teach you, man, it can't, it, it can't work in reverse. It can't. It works in reverse when we're talking about animals and rats. And when we're talking about things like that don't have too much of a prefrontal cortex, then I can become an alpha male or an alpha female and uh, demand respect first. doesn't work in reverse for humans. So you've just described a whole lot of trust building, which again, takes time. You betcha. And involves intention. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to do all of this stuff on purpose, kids before content. Yeah. Kids before content. I love that. And it, and here's the, the pushback I, I get quite often, Barbara, and I like I think we should address it right away. We're talking to a group of people who are tired. And we're talking to a group of people who feel like they're not so sure they have anything left in the tank, right? That they have so much on their plate. They're expected to volunteer and coach and uh, get their report cards done on time and light up around every kid on the planet. And now you want me to find out what this kid, like, 
do you understand? Like, I, I know how this might sound like it's an extra piece on your plate. What, what I've come to learn about the best educators is that, that they do this, they, or they did this without even thinking. This is, this is part of who they are. And when you get tired, you forget how to do those things. When you feel like you're unsupported or unworthy or there's just not enough of you, that, that's called compassion fatigue. That's called, I am, I'm in the trenches with these babies. I used to want to get out of bed every morning and jump back into my classroom. These days, I think I should have been a barista. Mm -hmm. And when you start to feel like that, man, I, I hear you all day long. And that is not about kids these days. That's about how we are failing to support you. To remind you that it, it's going to get hard because here's here's the the deal, the the intensity of of babies who are troubled, who have trauma histories, who are struggling, is no different than if you taught 40 years ago. The difference these days is the frequency of it. More of them, for sure. Yeah. And so, yeah. if you think about, I mean, I know you you've had a, a a beautiful career. If you think about it, even sort of 20 years ago in this in this business, this is what teachers tell me is that there used to be that kid, you know, and in the class or in, you know, every couple of classes that at Christmas time, you would be like, okay, we got to rally around and help this family. Or it's that one that would know they were the, the sort of the quote bad kid. Um, now, my gosh, you're fighting for air. You, you almost have to triage in every class. Okay. So which kid are we most worried about? Which one are we going to support at Christmas? Cause you know, I've got five on my list here. Or I've got three in this classroom. Um, because the, the, there's so much disconnect these days that we are increasing uh, our struggles these days with our babies are not that, that kids these days are getting worse. And I, I don't know if you hear that um, down there as much as we hear it up here, but when I ask people about, you know, kids these days, what, what are we worried about? And they'll say kids these days are lazy. Kids these days are uh, disrespectful. I would have never walked into a classroom, you know, with my hat on or my hoodie up in the good old days. Um, kids these days are, they don't know how to work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you hear that? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I think what's really interesting to me is that every generation that have come before us have been worried about kids these days. Like if you, we often heard up here, you know, par our parents have said to us, like, you don't know how good you have it. <laughs> we went, you know, we had to walk to school uphill, both ways, right? Barefoot yeah. in the snow. <laughs> and so every generation that's come before us is concerned that the next generation is going to make mess it up. I mean, I, I talked about this in the book. They, they even made a movie about it. I don't know if you've seen Footloose, but yes. they're, they're concerned that every generation is going to be the demise of the next one. And you know what? Here, here's the point. Our kids shouldn't know what it was like. That's why we're working so hard is that we don't want them to have to know what it was like. We want them to know freedom and connection and support and empathy and, um, you know, innovative ways of teaching and medicine and all of those things. Right. We, we want our babies to do that. What we want them to do is stay connected. And, and here's the issue. Every generation, the difference between the good old days, and it's only one thing in, in my mind, is uh, we've never been more disconnected. And the only way you learn that you matter, the only way you learn emotional regulation is in the proximity to another human being. And if you think about the square footage of the house in which your grandfather was raised and the square footage of the house in which we're raising our babies, right? 
what we are losing more than anything is not being replaced by devices or kids being disrespectful or all of those things. Um, what they, the good old days had over us was proximity. And that's what we're missing. Everybody has a device and you can text your husband or email your, your team uh, in a heartbeat. I mean, we can connect our kids to China tomorrow if we want to. We can take them on a virtual field trip. That's beautiful. That's amazing. But what we are completely falling down around is how I then grab your hand and look you in the eyes and say, do you know what, Mrs. G? You're changing lives. And I'm, it's such an honor to work alongside you. And that feeling when you look into the eyes of somebody you respect or you work with or you love, it creates a physiological response in your body. And, and if we want to get scientific about it, I mean, your, your cortisol decreases the second we're in the same place. If you like me and respect me and we have uh, something we're working towards, um, your cortisol decreases, your oxytocin and your dopamine, the feel good hormones increase just by being in my physical presence. I can't replicate that on a text. But what we do all the time now with our babies, right, is that we live in bigger houses. We text them when supper's ready and we're in the kitchen. We take them to the playground and we're busy checking everybody else's lives on Facebook and Instagram. And listen, I'm as guilty as the next mom and don't kid yourself. But what we're missing is that connection. And that's how, that's the only way I can teach regulation. And so kids who have experienced trauma and who are becoming more disconnected from their primary caregivers will come into our institution of education way more dysregulated than they have in the past. And that will increase unless we can remind uh, caregivers and uh, our holy educators that all we need first and foremost is relationship and connection. So sometimes people ask what my secret was and, um, Kids would tell me it's how you make us feel. I think I had two mentors. One, my great aunt Norma, who basically taught me that I should find a way to make every kid my favorite. And then my mentor, Sally, who basically urged me to delight in their presence. Because I remember telling Sally, oh, this is so secondary. Being a school counselor, you know, their their first and foremost should be the parent and then should be the teacher and the, the school counselor should come third. And Sally would say, it does, there's no order. It doesn't matter. Just delight in their presence. Find joy in that moment with each and every child. But that seems so simple, Jody. <laughs> doesn't it? Are you telling us it's that simple? That's it, girl. That's it. That's all. Aunt Sally, I would have loved Aunt Sally. Is she still alive? Ah, she passed away. Oh, God bless her heart. Well, she created a legacy in you. And I think that's the point. When we do this work of education, how can we create the legacy? And I promise you that if you think about, if I if I were to say to anybody listening to this right now, think about, if you're an educator, think about the top three kids you'll never forget. And it'll take you about seven seconds to get them to pop into your head. In fact, they'll be fighting for space in your in your head right now. Know this one, know this one, know this one, yeah? Mm-hmm. Those babies are there. Listen to me. Those babies are there because you are a game changer. Those babies are in your head, not because you taught them chemistry or English or social studies, but because they made a mark on your heart. And if you can think about them, when you're driving or you're sitting in your office or you're doing whatever you're doing right now, I promise you, they think about you 10 times as much. 
They will never be able to tell you probably because these are the babies that struggle with emotional regulation 90% of the time, but you changed their lives. And it wasn't because of your pedagogy. It was because of how you made them feel. Wow. We could stop there, but we have a few more minutes. Okay. So (laughs) you're an author, you're a mom, you're taking care of other people's kids, even when you didn't particularly care for kids initially. How do you (laughs) care for Jody so that you're not suffering from compassion fatigue? Oh, buddy, I, you know, it's so interesting because this, this is how it sort of happened in chapters for me. And so when I started just consulting with school, it was talking about the bad kids and how we like, I love the spitters and the kickers and the F you were, those are my babies all day long. And so I started to consult around those. And then I started to create a, you know, a bit of a, a workshop series that I would go in and speak to, to, you know, staffs, uh, entire staff teams. Like I want your bus drivers and your secretaries because relationship knows no hierarchy. I want everybody in the room. And we started talking about how you connect to kids. And then I would leave and they would say, thanks for the motivation, but like, now what? So then I was like, you're, you're right. What, what's our next step? We got to create a model that says, how do we look after you people? So we did. We created the connections, the Carrington Connections Network. And then a piece of that was, oh my gosh, there is something very different about being motivational and then being transformational. And if we're going to be transformational, we need to have a piece about compassion fatigue. We need to have a piece about how do we keep you in the game? Because it's not an end game. Every class, every year that every group of students you influence, the next year has a whole new set of issues, right? Yes. So it's not an end game. It's not an end game, my girl. You are in it every day. And I want you to walk into every September and every June feeling no different. Being like, put me in coach. Come on. Come on, you little muffin of love. Bring it. (laughs) And how do we address things like compassion fatigue? So it really made me look at my own stuff. And if I'm going to do this work um, and spend time away from my own babies and um, really sort of advocate and um, do what I think is holy work. How do I look after me? And there's a couple of things that have become clear to me. Um, You need a small and select group of people who remind you you're amazing. They are the ones whose opinion matters and the rest don't score. So I often refer to them as my bottom hands based on a theory um, that I speak about quite often in my talks. Um, It's called the circle of security and it's really talking about emotional regulation in kids. It's a group of guys out of Seattle that came up with this theory and um, they talk about the bottom hands, the people who catch you when you fall, who can regulate you when you're distressed. And we all have them, right? If you were to get into a car accident tomorrow, who's the first person you would call? Uh, That's a bottom hand. That's somebody who's going to regulate you in times of distress. And so I say, I want you to get your three or four or five bottom hands in your head. Those are who you want to live well for. Those who you want to impress. They don't even have to be alive anymore. You only need three or four or five of those and the rest don't score because everybody, and you know this well, Barbara, everybody will have an opinion. Everybody will have, if you're looking at, if you're doing anything publicly, if you are looking after anybody else's children, everybody will have an opinion about how you're doing your job and it will sway you and rock you to the core if you let it. So you need to keep your bottom hands in mind, your four or five people who matter the most and the rest don't score. So when I speak, when I speak to somebody, so when I speak to you, right, there's going to be lots of discussion um, about so many things as we launch this book officially. And, you know, there's going to be lots of opinions about it. And I need to keep those five. So I only speak to those five 
I only post on social media to those five. When I stand up in a group of 50 people in a church basement or 5,000 teachers in a convention, I speak to my five because they know my heart and my intention and my character. And they all, they all are so solid in my head and the rest don't score. So do I, do I have to practice that every day? Yes. Cause I get kicked in the ass often. Um, but it is a daily practice where I want you only to teach to them, to parent, to them, to conduct yourself in your marriage to them. The rest don't score. Would you make them proud? Then you're okay. What a great strategy. Yeah. Hey, Hey, I'm going to circle back to Miss Nordquist. Do I have her name right? Mrs. Nordstrom. Nordstrom. Okay. Did you ever reconnect and tell her what a difference her presence that day meant? You know what? I have had her daughters in my sessions. Oh, yay. I have had her sister and I have yet to have her in my physical presence as I tell that story. So we launched the book officially on February 14th. And um, my my secret, which I have not done yet, uh, so I'm telling you first, and who's ever listening, uh, I would love her to be there. So she she will she will be uh, on the invite list, uh, and I want to tell her this as I launch it and uh, give her the book because she's she's a reason. Well, she was there at a moment which you described as something that shakes us to our core, and 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 you've done your trauma and your grief work really to honor her and and keep that legacy alive no oh yeah a hundred percent and and that's the thing I want you know your listeners to remember I think is that like it just takes a moment guys it just takes a moment and you give the best you can on any given day and it's enough there'll be some days where you will be showing up in your uh you'll you'll be the front of your classroom high-fiving and you'll be on your bus going like hey good morning Tash good morning Joel and other days you will forget your bra and that is okay. As much as, I don't know if you've ever forgot your bra, bra Barbara, but it's not, a, <laughs> it's not a good day. Uh, <clears throat> because we all have our own stuff, right? We all have our own stuff going on. And so all I ask of you, all we can ever ask of any of us is that we show up to the best of our abilities every single day. And that is enough right now, today, right here. You're more than enough. You don't need any extra schooling. You don't need any extra stuff. You don't need to lose five pounds. You don't need to what you just, you're amazing right now, right here. You are in this profession. You show up with the best heart that you can any given day. You will change lives. I love the word enough. Ah, right. And I'm glad you're including cafeteria and bus drivers and paraprofessionals and and um, custodians and anybody. I mean, there is no hierarchy. There really isn't. And I was invited to a neighboring district to do a three-hour wellness session with the paraprofessionals. And ah. I mean, we cried together. And I thought, you know, typically districts will have them stuff in envelopes in preparation for the first day while we get the fun team building. And, and why are we leaving these important people out? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Like part of this model um, that we've talked about is that the, the first day that I come into any school or any district, uh, I want the whole staff. So, and I'm really clear about that. Like I, I don't care if you have 5,000 or 50, but I want your bus tri- relationship knows no hierarchy. So when my baby walks onto a uh, bus in the morning, he has no idea what your job is. And if you look at him and say, Oh, giga Maggie's, <laughs> I love your Texas A&M sweater, dude. Uh, and then he walks into the the school and the, and the superintendent has happens to be there that day. And he says, well, gig them. 
right? Or he says, what, what do you mean gigum? All right, what about you too, you too, right? <laughs> this kid does not care, right? They're he has no honest. idea about the pay difference. He has no idea about potentially the educational difference, right? No. So relationship knows no hierarchy. You, you teachers, uh, not you teachers, the, uh, listen to me. Now apparently I'm a, <laughs> and the, 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 a commoner. Uh, like, now right. you're a commoner. <laughs> um, but do you know what I mean? Like we, we're all in this together. And yes. when we remember that, when our secretary and our bus driver and our custodian and our librarian, when I can say, hey, buddy, we, we got to get this baby. This baby's been in six foster homes in three years. He hasn't had a mama. And all we need to teach him is that he matters. Are you with me? Can you help me with that, Ethel? Harold, the bus driver, buddy, you've been here 26 years, my love, and you have changed. Can you just light up around this kid? He's going to get on your bus in the morning and flip you the bird and have his hoodie up. I know that's unacceptable and inappropriate, but what I need you to talk about first and foremost, as long as everybody's safe, is that he loves Texas A&M. Can you do that for me? And you know what Harold will say? Because Harold's a good guy. He's going He's to say, yes, sir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. I got your back. And then I'm going to say, Harold, I got a meat tray. I got a meat tray for you in the staff room because you're such an important part of this team. I feel like, Barbara, if there's one suggestion I could make to educators, you need less of a budget for Chromebooks and more of a budget for meat trays. If you feed your staff high-quality food, you surprise them, you let them know they matter, they will play hard for you every single day. Ladies and gentlemen. budget for meat trays, girl. Write that down. Meat trays. (laughs) Donuts, fresh fruit, anything. Because if you don't feed the teachers, you know what comes next, right? Oh, my Lord, girl. I have watched in staff rooms. It's like, it, it, there's like a special thing about staff rooms and food. It's it, like, it, it's almost scary what happens. They they will like knock each other over. <laughs> and nobody will come out of their classrooms until you're like, hey, like there's fresh cupcakes in the staff room. People are like, pushing the children down oh those little buntlets oh nothing bunt cake mm, mm. <laughs> it's amazing it's amazing it's a phenomenon and we need to we need to start a, a, a revolution more oh. food more stuff in the staff room okay my friend where can listeners connect with you grow alongside of you and just experience your awesomeness oh god i would just be so honored um listen i'm at um www.drjodycarrington.com. That's our website. And everything that you need to know about me is there. Everything, every other link is there. And the launch of the book is February 14th. Oh, I'm so excited. So many congratulations coming your way from Aggie Land and your Texas family. I want to thank you for joining us today. Is there anything I missed before we sign off? Not a thing, sweet one. And I, I, I'll just leave you with this. I, I don't ever want you to forget how amazingly incredible you are. So for every mama who could never say it to you, from a, from a mama of three babies uh, who, who get held uh, every single day by people just like you, my, my children do, uh, thank you. Thank you. You're amazing to me. It's a great honor. And we appreciate support people like you. I can't wait to get your book. I want to come to the launch. I know Canada is not necessarily next door, but one day, my friend, we will meet in person. Thank you so much for being here today. I cannot wait. Thank you, girl. Thank you so much. And then a reminder that this podcast is supported by ProSign Design, a family-owned business dedicated to character, safety, and organization. 
Join us next week as we continue the conversation about character ed, connections, and life. Until then, remember that character speaks.